Today's reading is taken from Psalm 84 on page 476. Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty! My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself. Where she may have her young, a place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house; they are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also covered with pools. They go from strength to strength. Till each appears before God in Zion, hear my prayer, <clears throat> Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. That is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in You. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Lexi. If you can keep your Bibles open to Psalm 84, and if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles at the back. I'm sure it'll be useful to you as. We go through it together, but let's pray that God will speak to us today. Lord, we thank you for your living word that it's、uh, living and active, sharper than two-edged sword. And we pray now that you would examine our hearts, and you would give us a taste of your presence and 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 your、uh, greatness and your loveliness, that we might long for you more and more. That we might long for you、uh, as we live our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name, Amen. Most people find it difficult if you press escape first.、Yeah. Most people find it difficult to long for heaven, to want heaven. It's a difficult thing for them. Part of it is just education, right? If you go to your schools, you're going to study biology and maths and sciences or whatever it is, and you are taught to think about stuff of this earth, not the spiritual stuff, not what we think. I think in the church, important stuff. The people around us are concerned for all these earthly things as well. Right, things of this world like schools and boyfriends and girlfriends and career, money, house, retirement—all those things that are of this world. These are the things that we think about, dream about, worry about. And heaven is difficult for us because we don't know what heaven is going to be like. Right? It's an abstraction for us. It's a place without suffering and death and shame and all those things. But what does that mean? I've never been to a place like that. How can I desire something that I don't actually know much of? And because heaven is depicted、uh, with harps and a place as a place of singing, and not like rock and roll kind of singing, but singing of hymns, endless singing, it seems kind of boring to many people. 
And this to me is one of the reasons why I found Psalm 84 so fascinating. Because the psalmist expresses such longing, yearning to be at the temple. To be at the temple. He sings, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. When was the last time that you wanted something that much, that you felt like you were about to faint? You yearned something so much that if you don't have it, then you might just not be able to live. Go on. You know, if you're a student, maybe you want to desperately get, to, get into a university. Or if you're single and you just want a relationship. But what he wants, what this psalmist wants, confuses us. Because if we look at it, he wants to be at the temple. Why does he want to be at the temple? Psalm 84 is a song of ascent. It's uh, as people are gathering from all over Israel. In festival times, they're gathering to go towards the temple. And as they go towards the temple, they're singing this song. But why do they want to get there so badly? Well, it can't, it can't just be the architecture. Although, if you think about it, architecture was amazing. You know, Israelites, they were mostly peasants and farmers. They had never seen a big building like this ever before. So as they came into Jerusalem, Jerusalem wall, and they saw the temple, I'm sure that was the most impressive thing that they had ever seen. And imagine the mu music in the temple, the songs that they uh, sing, right? The, they're professional musicians singing these hymns and the, singing these songs. They're the, the, the best music that they've ever heard. The robes of the priests are the most ornate, and the mystery of the temple, I'm sure, fill them with the sense of awe. But it's not that. Psalms actually are written in these parallelisms. So one line, and then there's a second line that clarifies what that means. And he goes on to say, My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. It's not just that he wants to be at the temple. He, his heart and flesh cry out for the living God. He wants to see God. He wants to be with God. And then he goes on to say he envies the birds the swallow and the, and the sparrow that have made their home near the altar. Verse 4, he sings, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. That's what he wants to do. He wants to live there in the presence of the temple because God had promised Israelites that he would dwell in the temple, that if you wanted to meet him, you should come to the temple because that's where his throne room is. That's where you'll be able to meet God. So he wants to be with God. He wants to worship him. He wants to make his home there. I lived in many places, and when people ask me, where's your home, I get slightly confused, but not so anymore. If you go, where is your home? Hong Kong's my home. Hong Kong's my home. It's not the landscape. It's not the cityscape, although it's really beautiful. I really enjoy being in Hong Kong, but really it's the relationships. Mary's here. Barney is now here. You, all of you are here. My most significant relationships are here in Hong Kong. This is where my home is. And that's how the pilgrim feels about the temple. It's hard to imagine that that's how he feels because the most significant relationship that he has is with his God. He wants to be with God. Wherever God is, he wants to make home there and live with him, be able to praise him and worship him there. He longs to be with God. And I wonder if you've ever yearned and longed to be with God in this way. 
Right? Maybe at times when things are really difficult, you're going through trouble and you don't really understand what's happening. You just want to see God, like Job. Right? Job, is going, Job has lost everything. He just wants to see God. But actually, the psalmist isn't like that. He's not going through any trouble, but he longs to be with God. And many of you might say, well, I've never longed to be with God that way. But C.S. Lewis says, actually, that's not true. That is not true. He says there is a longing and yearning for God in each one of us, even though we might not recognize that as that. He writes, most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that, know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer, that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. He says, if you look into your heart, there's something that you want acutely, really badly, that, that you want it, but the world cannot give it to you. Take, for example, if you're young and single, I know there's a solid rock here with us, so this is an example that I'll go to again and again. If you're young and single, you think, ah, if I just meet the perfect person, the right person, then my, all this longing in my heart will cease. Actually, that's not quite true. First of all, most of us do not meet this perfect person. There is no such, such a perfect person. And even if you met the person of your dreams, actually, your heart's not going to just settle. You want more. You want something else. You want, it's so good that you want more things like this. Many in Hong Kong, I think, look forward to, to fulfill this restlessness by going on holidays. In our busy lives, we imagine that if we soak ourselves in the sun or in the turquoise waters of like Bali or something, that that restlessness will go away. But you know how, at the end of each holiday, how you feel. You want more. You want more of it. But actually, you also know that getting more of it isn't enough. Because just ask, ask anybody who live in Hawaii. They love Hawaii, but right, like they don't want to be there for, in perpetual holiday. They long for more. They want something else. They want things that the world cannot give them. And you know what people do then? People bury themselves in the things that they have, maybe in their careers, in their schooling. They want more recognition, more popularity, more power, more money. And when they want more of it, they double down. They go, actually, if I just have more of it, then I'll be satisfied. And some people, they despair. They go, actually, what, the world cannot actually satisfy my needs. They despair. But C.S. Lewis says, there is an alternative for the Christian. He goes on to write, the Christians say, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for the, those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. Men feel a sexual desire. Well, there's such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which, which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfied, that it does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, but to suggest the real thing. That, that longing that we feel, that longing is for God. 
is to be in the presence of God, is to be in this world where God rules, the perfect world. That's the world that we are made for. That's the longing that each of us have. Better is one day there than thousands elsewhere. And friends, if you're not a Christian, that longing that you feel is that longing. It, does, it won't go away because you are meant to be in relationship with God. You are meant to be there with God. So Pilgrim, he longs to be at the temple, at God's temple. But notice how joyful this person is. He's not there at the temple yet, but on the way, he has all this joy. God's blessing isn't just for the sparrows and the swallow that live in the temple. It's not just for the Levites and the priests that live in the temple. It's for those who are on the way to God's presence. They're given to those who are on their way. And someone who's on their way, well, that's a pilgrim. A psalmist isn't lost. She is a pilgrim on her way there. And there is a big difference between somebody who's lost, right? Being lost is frustrating. You don't know what to do next. You don't know what, where to go next. But being on a pilgrimage, having a destination as wonderful of a de- destination like the temple, well, it's a completely different experience. Marian Barney uh, just went back to um, the U.S. I drove them on Thursday afternoon and as we were driving as, as I was driving them we we're talking about all the things that Mary missed about the US we talked mostly about food we talked about like burgers and pizzas and uh, um, Tex-Mex food that she'll eat mind you she was about to embark on a plane for 13 hours 13 hours with the 18 uh, how old is uh, eight uh, 18-month-old 18, 18 son. Right, it's not going to be an easy thing, but she wasn't dreading, right? She was, I mean, she was thinking about it, and it wasn't a pleasant thing, but she wasn't dreading the whole journey. You know why? Because she's on her way home. She's on her way to a destination that's wonderful. And that's how the pilgrim feels as well. Listen to these words in verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on the pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. I've said this before once. Uh, In verse 5, ESV translated as, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose hearts are highway to Zion. In whose hearts are highway to where God lives. In whose hearts God is already there. God dwells there. He longs and hopes for God. And that God dwells in that person's heart already. And Valley of Baca, well, Baca means tears. And Valley of Baca is a dry place. It's a tearful place. It's a terrible place. And, you know, our lives are not that easy either. On our way to be in God's presence, on our way to the new creation, well, our lives get filled with all sorts of terrible things in this broken world. Valley of weeping and dryness, valley of breakups and failures, financial hardships, diseases, cancer, miscarriages. But what is in your heart? Are you a person who's lost? Or are you somebody who's on the way? Are you a pilgrim in whose heart is God? 
highway to Zion. Listen, for the pilgrim, the Valley of Baca didn't stay uh, 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 dry places, right? As they pass through, we read, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rain also covers it, cover it with pools. And you see the footnote there, the pools thing, it's, it just, it's, it's also blessings. God's blessings are showered upon them that these Valley of Baca, the Valley of Tears is transformed into a place that's teeming with God's life. Transforma uh, transformation and you've seen this in people I'm sure of it and I'm sorry Sarah I, I'll, this is the last time I'll bring up Sarah this is my third straight week but I, Sarah is such a great example <laughs> but, and Sarah's going through her chemo right facing her possible death for everybody else right as they go through such a place it is a place of death it's a place of mourning it's a place of tears but you know, as she was sharing her faith with others, she was sharing the hope that she has in Jesus Christ, and one of her students becomes a Christian, right? She has transformed that place, the, the valley of tears, into valley of, of teeming with life, a place where she's able to give life to others. Christians, I think, during this time of demonstration, it's a difficult time for Hong Kong. But I, when I see this, um, what Christians are doing, I, I, my heart's really warmed, right? The Christians go down to the demonstrations. They have these packs of water that they're giving out. They're offering prayers to everybody who needs prayers. They're offering counseling to people who would come to them and want to be counseled. And as they sing praises to the Lord, as they sing hallelujah to the Lord, the place of demonstration down there is transformed into a place of worship. As people are lifted up from wherever they are, the situation that they are, to the, hope, to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And we can do that actually for each other. We have done that for each other. A few years back when one of our, committee, I mean, one of our church members committed suicide, the church sprang into action. There were people who were praying, people bringing food, people comforting, people we, we paid as a church for a helper for three years. The place where it should be a desperate hopelessness. Well, that family experienced something slightly different. A place of hope, a place of community, a place of transformation and love. Valley of Baca, being transformed into a place that's springing with life. As they pass through the Valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. When our hearts are filled with God, filled with this hope, we live differently here on earth. We, becomes God, we become God's agents of redemptive love and grace and hope. So this person, as they head um, to the, to the uh, temple, they sing, better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. But I wonder how the pilgrim felt when they arrived, when she arrived at the temple. Sure, the building would have been impressive. Sure, the aroma of the sacrifices, I'm sure, mouth-watering, and many things impressive. But remember, she wanted to see God. She wanted to be with God. She wanted to meet with God. Did that happen? Well, as much as the temple was a place of God's presence with his people, God promised to live in the temple, but it also was a place where God reminded them that they cannot come as they are, that they cannot meet God 
as they are. I mean, look at the layout of the temple there. The place, the, the Gentile courts, right? This is the court of the Gentiles. The Gentiles, they weren't even allowed in the temple. At the penalty, uh, death penalty, at the, at, at the threat of death penalty, they couldn't go in. Women, they could go into the second courtyard, but not anymore. Men could go into the courtyard, but that's it. The priests could go into the holy place, but uh, after all of those things, and to the holy of holies, the place where God promised to be. Remember, the chief priest, once a year, once a year, one person once a year went into the Holy of Holies. And not, you know, even then, it was after all the sacrifices and things, but you know what they did? They also um, lit these censers so that it, it, the smoke filled the Holy of Holies. You know why they did that? So that they couldn't see God. Because if they saw God, God's holiness would consume them. Because of our sinfulness, we cannot, we could not be with God on our own, by ourselves, as we are. Our hearts and flesh cry out for the living God. But if we did, we would be consumed. But we see things changing in the New Testament. If you have your Bibles open, uh, do turn to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, to, uh, it's uh, on the church Bibles on page 890. Acts 8, verse 26 and on, on page 890. Look at the story there. It's one of the, I, I just, uh, it's uh, one of the most memorable stories to me. We're told in verse 27 that there was this Ethiopian eunuch who came all the way to Jerusalem and was now going back to Ethiopia. We're told that he's a distinguished man in charge of the treasury of the queen of Ethiopia. He's an educated man. Right? It's not everyone who could read back then, and he's reading out loud. And if you think about it, he's reading in, in, not in his own uh, tongue. Right? It's a second language or third language or whatever he speaks. He's an educated man. He's a wealthy man. Uh, these scrolls were really precious, valuable scrolls. People wrote them by hand, and not everybody could own a scroll. He had a scroll, a private collection. He was a wealthy man, an important man. But he must have had this thirst of our psalmist. He longed to see the temple. He longed to meet the true living God. Could you imagine this uh, Ethiopian eunuch asking for vacation time? To, she go, he goes to the queen, right, and says, I'd like some vacation time. Why? I'd like to go to Jerusalem. Why? I want to see the God there, the true and living God. I want to meet him there. And so he goes from, he takes vacation time out, he goes all the way, he comes all the way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. But you know what happened? It doesn't say, but I, but I can tell you what happened. He was disappointed, I'm sure of it, because you know what? He couldn't enter the temple. Eunuchs, by Old Testament law, they're not able to enter the temple. Not only that, more importantly, he's a Gentile. The court of the Gentiles is as far as he probably made it. He couldn't go in to the temple. He wasn't allowed. He longed and thirsted for this God. But he couldn't meet him. But look. Look where he meets God. Spirit of God sends Philip by the, the, the chariot to the Ethiopian eunuch. The Spirit of God was moving in him already because he's reading Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53. 
Isaiah chapter 53, where uh, he's reading, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter, a lamb before its shear. He's reading about Jesus. And Philip then explains to him that this was Jesus who died for him, who became the sacrifice that's offered to the temple, not just in the temple, but for all people, once and for all, that through him we can approach God, we can meet God. And that's what happened. At that message, he's transformed. Because when he sees water, look what he says, what he requests in verse 36. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? He wants to be baptized. He wants to be cleansed. He wants to be born again. He's touched by God and his life is completely different. He wants to signify that by going underwater and coming up as a new person in Christ Jesus, he's become a new person. The message is clear. The temple is no longer necessary. Because wherever people turn to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them. God will not meet, not only meet them, but live inside of them. Their thirst will be quenched, and they will become a wellspring of life, welling up to eternal life, as Jesus says in John 4, 14. And to be honest, have you thought about this? I'm just so amazed. You know, the psalmist in Psalm 84, he just knew the Old Testament God. God of the Old Testament, which is an amazing God, but at the same time, I, the, his heart yearning and thirsting to the point that he wants to, he faints. How much do we, how much better do we know God? How much more reasons do we have for loving God, thirsting after God? The psalmist knew nothing of the joy of the Holy Spirit, much less the new creation. He wanted to be at the temple where God was, but you know, the vision that we're given is that the whole world will be transformed. Every nook and cranny of this new creation will be filled with God's glory. That's what we are promised. He knew that God loved Israel, but he couldn't have imagined that God would become a human being because he loved us, that he would die for us that he would rise again for us, ushering in a whole new creation that is to come. He couldn't have hoped for any of it, yet he longed for God in this way. How much more can we, how much more should we if we know this person of Jesus Christ? C.S. Lewis goes on to say in this essay, it's mere Christianity, the chapter on hope, all Christians know something the Jews did not know about what, what it cost to redeem their souls. Our life as Christians begin by being baptized into a death. Our most joyous festivals begin with and center upon the broken body and shed blood. There's such, there is thus a tragic depth in our worship which Judaism lacked. Our joy has to be the sort of joy which can coexist with that. There is for us a spiritual counterpoint where they had a simple melody. We know God's full fullness of God's love. They had a simple melody. We have a symphony of God's love. What greater joy do we have as Christ people? Friends, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in God, where God dwells. And many of us, because we have tasted God's goodness, we want more of it. And that's the longing that you feel. And there are some of us here who have not yet turned to Christ. Can I ask you, once again, that restlessness that you feel is 
the longing for God. Ask Christ to come into your heart. Tell him that you want to follow him, that he is your Savior and Lord. And come and talk to us. I'd love to tell you more. And what a joyful thing is then, being a people who are on the way, on the way to the glorious place that Jesus has prepared for us. And you know, there are many, many distractions in this world, but set your heart on Zion. Look at the place that Jesus has prepared. And if you do, if you hope in that place, your present life, whatever you're going through, will be transformed. It will look different as a result. But I know that there are times when that is really hard because the circumstance is overwhelming or you find the world so disappointing, you find the church disappointing, church leadership disappointing, you find many things disappointing. Christ and look to Christ. Look to this God. The church disappoints, the world disappoints, we all disappoint each other, but Christ will never disappoint. And when you have that relationship with Christ, that joy will gush forth. When you have that relationship with Christ, you will become a wellspring of life that will feed on, uh, that will go on to eternity. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this psalm. We thank you for the longing that the psalmist expresses uh, to want you, to desire you, to be with you. And we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who is now with us. Lord, even as Christians, Lord, many of us are distracted. Our hearts are not set on Zion. Our hearts are set on all sorts of other things. Would you lift us up to the goodness of Jesus Christ? to your goodness that it might satisfy us us deeply that that satisfaction that wellspring of life will carry us to eternity and Lord for many of us for some of us who don't yet know you we pray that they would long after you and turn to you they would direct their desires to you that they too might come to know your goodness in Jesus name we pray Amen.